This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney, Paul Sarker. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. We've got a good one for you guys this week. Paul, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm caffeinated. Let's just kick it off. Um, this guy who we've been talking now about for a while, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, pulled something off. He pulled something that a lot of other folks have not been able to pull off. To put a finer point on it, we talk about Warner Brothers and Discovery Merge and Dave Zaslov who's been a content, I don't know about his creative chops as much as his, he's a, he's like a great business, business leader person. for content yeah. companies. You know, he built Discovery, making really inexpensive content that had a big audience. You know, back in episode 26, so season one, episode 26, we talked about specifically how Batgirl, the prior leadership of Warner Brothers, had spent $100 million on Batgirl. Yeah. And he didn't release it. He just shelved wouldn't it. let it on the platform. Just put it in the trash in order to get a tax write-off. And we also talked about at that time, you know, his mandate was to cut costs, lower the debt, and just stop making shows that didn't have audiences. So he canceled a bunch of shows, took a lot of shows off the platform like Westworld. And I think you and I discussed as fans, like maybe, you know, Westworld peaked at season one or two. Right, and, right. you know, by four, it was like kind of dragging. It was getting a little weird. Yeah. And it cost a lot of money. It cost a lot of money. Super expensive show. And he, he made some tough decisions on what shows to, st- you know, he obviously is moving forward with Euphoria, House of Dragon, Thrones isn't going anywhere. Last of Us, yeah. Harry Potter series coming up. Sure. So, you know, he's still leveraging the intellectual property, the strong brands. They're moving forward on those. But a lot of the lesser, maybe more artistic, less proven franchises and shows are not being made. They're doing more licensing off platform, licensing onto the platform with films like Wonka and Barbie and all that. And they introduced an ad tier. They rebranded HBO Max as Max. So all of this is to say that 2023 Max was profitable. And this is monumental because it's the first time a conglomerate, like a Hollywood conglomerate, has had a profitable streaming year. Right. 
Right. And the key point being streaming. Right. And we've been talking about this. I mean, we even recently talked about it when the sports potential new sports streaming apps and platforms like this is a really hard business because you have to spend so much money you have so much churn you have to buy so much content and this guy has pulled off something pretty incredible and i think when you when i think it, it was like turn to profit but when you look at what the loss was from the last two years i mean it's pretty incredible how much money was lost and to get it to this point now of of uh, being a uh, profitable part of the business now, granted, let's put it in context. So, so, so you have the numbers. Yeah, twenty twenty three revenue was ten point two billion for what they call direct to consumer their segment. Yeah, two and a half billion in Q four. That means they were for the year made one hundred and three million in profit. Whereas in twenty twenty two, they lost two point one billion. So they lost twenty one times what they made. They lost, in twenty twenty two. They lost twenty one times what. Yeah, because it was a hundred. It's a hundred and four million that they made in profit. Right. Right. Drop yeah. in the bucket compared to what they've been losing, but still it shows it's like a proof of concept that maybe streaming can be profitable if done in the right way. If you're very strict and parsimonious with what you spend your money on, if you can integrate an ad tier, if you are selective about what you green light. And so I think having the double strikes, you know, WJ and SAG probably hurt, hurt on the revenue side, but probably helped on the cost side because fewer things got made although there's probably a little bit less revenue coming in as well. But overall, you know, they're still at 95 million subs. So it's not like despite his decision to take things off the platform or to, to move on from shows, it hasn't really hurt their sub numbers. So they're sticking around 95 million and, you know, they, they have a plan. They're, they're growing internationally. They're still licensing content out and licensing content in. As we said, they're they're moving forward with a lot of their ace properties. Uh, I think that you know simultaneously, he also has to keep content on the platform fresh. So you have movies like Wonka coming on on Max. You have Aquaman, Last Kingdom. You have Dune Two, which is coming up soon. True Detective just finished. I haven't seen it. I've seen a lot of people complaining about it. It started off good. Who knows where it ends up, but. They do have some good stuff. And, you know, like we said earlier, Last of Us, Euphoria, White Lotus, House of Dragons, Harry Potter, all coming to the platform. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's embraced sports. Like I said, you could watch whatever's available on TNT. So MLB playoffs, NBA, that is now in max for for the time being. You don't have to pay extra for it. Maybe they roll that into an add-on in the future. But when you're looking at the entire content ecosystem of Warner Brothers Discovery, He's looking at what are things that aren't going to be an incremental cost to me that I can put on the platform that are going to keep people subscribing in the downtime between Last of Us or between House of Dragons or the next Thrones or the next Euphoria, right? Because you can't just create a million shows that ends up costing you more money. So if there's a way to repurpose or to take something that is a flagship product on your linear offering and, and put it into streaming without you know, offending any of your uh, rights holders or distributors, then he's going to do that. But you've got to be creative, right? And he's probably, you know, when he he got in, I don't know, I haven't talked to him about it, but like when he took over, he probably saw a spreadsheet with all the shows, how much they cost, what the analytics are and who was watching and made some tough decisions. And I think you have to give him credit for the fact that they had, like, it's not like subscribers have left in, in droves and said, oh, yeah. you know, I really wanted Westworld. I really wanted XYZ. So some of that 95 million is probably legacy bundling, but a lot of people just, you know, they keep paying because they feel like 
they're getting enough content on a monthly basis. I think that's the the key thing there is that we've talked about this before. Like I've canceled Disney Plus before. I've canceled Hulu before. I've never canceled my Max because there's just always something there. Like there, there's always like if you're if you want to watch Friends or you want to watch The Sopranos or you want to watch movies, they have a nice balance of things. And and I will say now, I am actually a fan of the consolidated platform. And like, I don't really even care that it's not HBO Max anymore. I know that the shows are HBO, but I remember thinking like from a brand perspective, like, man, that's a, why did they do that? That was such a dumb move. And now when I look at it, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, it's Max. I mean, it's, it's still HBO shows to me. The platform works. I don't mind using it. I actually like that everything's in one place. So he he made some hard decisions and it seems to be paying off now. And, and that doesn't even include like all the DCEU stuff that's like coming out. Again, time will tell because overall making 100 million versus losing 2 billion it's it's definitely a step in the right direction but is it enough to say that streaming is that they can compete with Netflix no but it's still a big step because like I, like we said at the start of this segment it's the first hollywood conglomerate conglomerate meaning mass media company that has all the different divisions like television film studio streaming product theme parks all this different stuff so because of that, it's the first mass media conglomerate to, to make a profit in streaming for a year. Yeah, well said. Last thing I'll say is that you're right on the number thing because the the margins are still pretty tight right now. And so if you're spending all these billions of dollars and, and you're essentially collecting like it's still profitable, but let's say you're you're. 10 billion in revenue and you're making a hundred million in profit. Like if that doesn't grow, something's not adding up. That money could probably be used better invested elsewhere, but we'll find out in a few years. Well, that that's sort of Warren Buffett's point, right? Is like, right. If you have to do everything right, just to eke out, you know, a hundred million dollars on a huge streaming platform, then maybe it's not a good business to be in period. Right. Right. Like, I mean, can you imagine doing all that work? And again, it's the opportunity cost of where that money could go. Well, the thing is, and and I'll just say this, the thinking is once you have the content, once you have that formula, it is pretty scalable, right? Like if they were to grow to 200 million subscribers, it's not like their cost would double and then it could be really profitable. Yeah, but I wonder, you know, what, what what are they at now? Like 97 million subscribers? 95, yeah. 97 all in. Like what is it going to take to double that? So like how much, what is the addition that they need to spend international. Ah, uh, okay, that's a good point. That's a good point. They don't really have the build out that Netflix has internationally. I but- see. I see. That's actually a very good point. I didn't think about that. Like again, when I go to Pakistan to visit family, I'm putting on Netflix. It's just the Pakistani version of of Netflix. You still get a lot of the same stuff, but you can't watch HBO. You can't watch it in right. like a lot of the, in a lot of that region. I, I haven't thought about it like that. Yeah, it's not. Listen, it's not going to be easy to double to go from 95 to 200 million, but that's the thinking, I would guess, to to justify, hey, hey, is streaming a good business? The other thing is, like, if you're a owner and operator of linear networks, you have to be in streaming, right? You yeah. could either be a licensor or an operator, but you can't just ignore it. It's too many people watch it. Yeah. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll get back, and we'll talk about OpenAI's new Sora model. Mm-hmm. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, Paul, so there is a huge announcement from OpenAI recently that blew the world away, or at least people who care about this stuff. I know I was blown away. OpenAI's new product called Sora and it's text to video. And I think this is what we've all been really waiting for and, and especially what we've been talking about. How does uh, Hollywood get disrupted or potentially complemented by AI? And OpenAI showed what they can do now after a lot of work. They spent like a long time working on this. The ability for you to text a prompt and get real incredible looking videos that look like a real movie with like lifelike type characters, settings, reflections, textures, physics. And they shared a bunch of videos on it. And it was pretty, pretty mind blowing. Did you see any of these? I did. I think I have been one that's just blown away by this. I think there's there's two common reactions. One is either, okay, everyone's going to lose their job or some people just sit there and point at all the flaws and say, well, this isn't as good as a human or whatever. This was, you know, it'll never compete. So I think those are the two polls, I would say, of how people react to this. I tend to be on the first, which is like I'm blown away yeah. by the quality. And, and to be clear, and, and uh, let's do a little bit of the background. So, you know, in episode 205, we talked about this wave of generative AI and how it was going to impact Hollywood generally and what this is, is it started as text, like ChatGPT, language learning models. Then it moved to still images like Dolly and Midjourney. And now it's video. So we talk about this industry. It's like it's going to start improving at light speed way faster than we can predict. And we're seeing that now. It's like, OK, you see, you put in a prompt. Give me a bunch of Valentine's Day date ideas. And you type it into OpenAI in a city or a zip code. And it's like you get yeah. 10 ideas that are great. Yeah. Wow. You know, that's really concerning because it would have taken me a lot of time to come up with that if I could have. But it wasn't necessarily like, I mean, game changing in a way, but not necessarily as threatening. Then it's like, oh, I want to see an image of myself dunking a basketball. And it's yeah, like, yeah. boom, there you go, Dali. Yeah. And now you can say, I want to see someone landing on the moon, right? Yeah. And Sora can theoretically do that. So these steps are just enormous leaps. And it's there's a really interesting legal thing. I mean, in, in episode 232, we talked about how SAG and the WGA were really concerned. The members were really concerned about the threat of AI. And when they were negotiating their three-year deals with the AMPTP, they wanted to put guardrails in about 
using AI to write scripts or using AI to recreate an actor's likeness and build in approval rights and compensation and the right to negotiate. But what they didn't really do and what no one can, I think, really do is say prohibit AI altogether. Like, I don't think there's a unified approach here. And, you know, in episode 238, we talked about we had Mary Rassenberger, who's the CEO of the Authors Guild, and she was on talking about how they're suing OpenAI because they feel like the author's works are being infringed when these models are getting trained. And the only thing that the courts have said now is that something that's created solely by AI does not qualify for copyright protection. But there's so much gray area in ownership. And yeah, I, I, I think this is interesting because I think that what you just said, the, that you're like you and I technically could be artists now or a director if we made a prompt that said, Mesh and Paul, you know, are driving a truck on the moon, give a close-up shot to the side, and it does it. And, like, we don't have that experience. We didn't go to film school. Why Why would – and like, it creates a video of us. Why would we don't that, have the $10 million it would take we to don't make have, that yeah, shot. To make that shot, but that's still, like, art at the end of the day that's been created by us using a computer, same way that I would describe, like, making a CGI building on a computer. And I think they really need to look at this. Like, I think you have to look at this with the optimistic lens as well, where you're saying, okay, what can this do for like independent film creators? What can this do for even big budget studio films that might now have more budget to do like 10 times the amount of films because they're using AI to essentially like do uh, cut down the cost, but they're able to do more. It was really interesting to watch. Like, obviously, there's still a lot of like issues with it. If you look closely, like there, there's a joke that um, it doesn't know how to do hands. The hands and right. always look weird. It sometimes it confuses um, left and right. Totally, but, but it's beautiful looking. What it's doing is so mind blowing to be able to sort of like understand nuance and physics and the way the world works and create this stuff in high quality video. Now, granted, yeah. it's limited to one minute clips and SOAR is not available for wide release. It's just limited. Right now, the only people accessing it are like select visual artists, filmmakers, developers, yeah. because it's still in the lab, right? They're still trying to refine it. All of the same concerns, uh, you know, that apply to generative AI more broadly, such as authenticity, labeling, ownership, uh, hallucinations, accuracy, misrepresentations, yeah. all that stuff is still there. But you're right. It does, to, in my perspective, democratize video because if you're a student filmmaker yep. and you have this dream of like this sci-fi movie or this fantasy movie or even just going to a bunch of different sets and that, that would cost you an exorbitant sum back in the day, maybe you can do it now on a computer – Tyler Perry. I was said, literally going to say if we could talk about yeah, this. Yeah, he's put his eight hundred yeah. million dollar expansion on hold. He's like, yeah. we're not going to need these stages. Yeah, people are going to lose jobs over this, and he's not saying it's a good or bad thing. He's just saying like we need to be aware yes. that I don't need to hire a crew and build a set in order to get the shot. I can get the shot on my computer yeah. now. I mean, you can, like he's saying, I don't need to travel to locations. I can like add weather into certain aspects of this. I'm using it for makeup. Yes, you know, you're not going to need a lot of jobs in certain aspects of this. But hopefully, I think it kind of goes back to like a software thing. 
if you start learning how to prompt well and like use this to your advantage and you're a filmmaker, you're a visual effects designer, it should really benefit you. Ideally, it creates more business because there's more money to go around to do more things. In theory, obviously, there's negatives that's, that's to this the justification. I yeah, mean, yeah, and that's yeah. in every field, right? Like medicine, law, trading, whatever. Anything that could be done by a human theoretically could be done better or more efficiently by an algorithm that's well-trained that can work faster and longer and doesn't need food or whatever, or salary theoretically. So that's always there. And so this, the spin, the positive spin is like, okay, well, it just enhances our efforts. Just like 20 years ago, Peter Jackson did use some machine learning sure, to do sure. the battle scenes in Lord of the Rings. And I am not necessarily, I wouldn't call myself a producer of music, but I have played around with digital audio workstations and you can use loops and other technology. Yeah. I can't make a song with instruments, but I can do it on the computer. It can enhance my creative vision because it just makes it easier. And so I think if you view it as like a tool to create and don't view it as a threat, great. But realistically, if your job is to find distant locations and make shots that you know are inconceivable and now you can do it on a computer without flying a bunch of people all over the world and looking and scouting these things and building it out. Like, yeah, I would be concerned. I would be concerned. Yeah, for sure. And and we're still a little bit of ways away, but it, it is moving quickly. I think a couple of points just uh, before we end the segment is, is that one, like I think about like YouTube and I think about like the use of B-roll or I think about like commercials, like all of these use cases. The B-roll one was really interesting to me when I was thinking about like how much better could like YouTube get when you now have like more beautiful visuals that people can use. I think another thing I had a friend, I have a friend of each regard who's um, an investor in, in the web three space. And he had wrote, he wrote on, on X that it's no more, it's in a very important time now to think about how we deal with deep fakes when it comes to video sure. and putting some type of watermark or in his case, he was saying some type of like cryptographic stamp on these things to know that what, where was the original, where did it come from? Was it AI created before that gets out of control? And so those are definitely concerns because obviously we've seen what happens just with images. Who knows what's going to happen with video? Video is scary. And then one last point was that they showed a video from a year ago with it's this video of Will Smith eating spaghetti and it looks really weird. It, it looks really weird. And then they made a recent one of Will Smith eating spaghetti, and it looks pretty real. And I think Will Smith shared it on his feed. And, and the difference of where it came from a year ago. So we'll, what happens a year from now? What happens you know, two years from now? Obviously, you said before, it's only up to one-minute video clips. This is a lot of computing power that it takes to do this. But that's the whole point. At some point, this thing will scale, and it won't be one minute. It could be, you know, half an hour to an hour. Right. What I think is debatable is, you know, whether it's a tool to create or whether it's a tool to eliminate. I don't know. Yeah. But thinking that there's some sort of realistic limit on its ability and to not think it's going to surpass us, I think that's naive. I would agree with that. But I'd highly recommend folks to go on the OpenAI website and check out the videos that they're putting out. Obviously, they're putting out the ones that look really cool, but it is pretty cool to see them. So check that out. And we'll be back after this break, and we're going to talk about Mr. Mbappe and the potential of him going to Real Madrid. Switching gears. So this is probably something that AI can't do, or at least I can't <laughs> yeah. conceive of it. I don't think AI could become the best soccer player in the world because that's already 
uh, Kylian Mbappe's job right now. But, you know, we talk about soccer once in a blue moon on the show. I know you're a big soccer fan. I am, or football, as they say. Yeah. I am less so of a fan, although I do recognize the World Cup final between Argentina and France was probably the best soccer game I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Mbappe had a hat trick and a losing effort. Uh, The prior World Cup, he won. He's 25. He's entering his prime. He is from Paris, so he's like, you know, playing for his hometown team right now, but I guess the the rumors yeah, are he's, he's out. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, this guy's so wonderful to watch. I remember during the World Cup, you'd watch him. You watch him, like, start sprinting, and he looks like a gazelle, and I actually looked it up the other day, like, how what's his top speed, and said something like 22 miles an hour. And just wow, put that, yeah. like, I'm running, I can sprint on a treadmill if I'm really trying 12 miles an hour, and that does not last Really? That I'd long. like to see that. That's not lasting. That's not lasting that long. But can you imagine this guy chasing you and he's going at 22 miles an hour? And and I think what's interesting here is that, look, he's he's been with PSG. The rumor is that he's going to Real Madrid. And in this case, his contract at PSG ends in June on June 2024. And so this would be him signing with the new team. Real Madrid is one of the biggest brands in the world. It's one of the most prestigious teams of the world and especially in Europe and you know he's expressed interest in, in playing there but Real has been trying to get him for a really long time and like this could be their opportunity that's what I was going to say hasn't been hasn't this been in discussion for like year it seems like it's been going on since at least 2021 yeah and I my my guess would be is that when Mbappe signed with PSG what would happen if you're trying to get a player who's already on an existing team is that there's the transfer fee. So the fee that you pay to the club for letting them go might've been like so high that they're like, maybe we'll just wait this one out unless he really, really wanted to to do it. I don't know those details. Well, I also think he's renewed with PSG a couple of times. Like he's flirted with leaving. Yeah. But then he signed extensions because as we said, it, you know, he had Messi, he had Neymar. So they are great teammates and it's his hometown team, right? So this is, not unlike when LeBron left the Cavaliers to go to Miami and build a super team with Chris Brosh and Dwayne Wade. Like, he did take some heat from leaving his hometown squad. It's a little different because Mbappe has won, I think, everything there is to win, except PSG never won a championship. Yeah, they never they never won a Champions League trophy. And they had three of the best players on the team. Right. So there was some issue with maybe chemistry or whatever. So at the end of the day, we know that Mbappe is taking a massive pay cut, a massive pay cut because PSG has been able to pay him a lot of money. And why? Because PSG has this injection of cash. They have the money to buy these big, big players. But at the end of the day, Mbappe has made a lot of money. He's made a lot of money in his career. He doesn't need to make more money. He can always get great endorsements. He's one of the most valued, sought-after players in the world. So he wants to go play for a club while they're still technically you know, at the top. Real Madrid, we don't know how much longer they're going to be able to do this because they do have a ton of debt. It is a team that is supported by the city. It's a team that's supported by the fans. It's a team that's supported by... Uh, financially by the city. They don't have that injection of cash that teams like PSG has, like teams that Man City has. And I think that Mbappe feels that he could win 
the French league every year, and he hasn't won a Champions League yet. But the French league is not the best league in in Europe. I mean, PSG is the top of the top. If you look at competitive leagues, you look at like La Liga and you look at Premiership. And I think for him, he feels like the best players in the world have always played for Real. They have a brand in the world that everyone loves. And the thing is, if you look at a Man City, Man City has tons of money. They're one of the best teams in the world. They have players like Holland, they can pay him, but do the fans around the world really love Man City? Do they have this history that fans have had with teams like Arsenal and Real Madrid and Liverpool? They don't have that, but Real Madrid does have that. I think Mbappe knows that, and he's willing to take a pay, take a pay cut. He's willing to go down to, I think it's estimated to be 12 to 13 million pounds a year in salary. Plus, of course, he's getting that 80, 85.5 million pound signing bonus, but he's always going to have endorsements. He has all the money, and I think this is why you kind of have to admire a play like this because he wants to play amongst the best. We don't know how much longer Real is going to be there for um, in terms of being the top of the top, but it's always been the case and he wants to go play for that team and he's willing to take that pay cut. Yeah, I mean, he's been in his hometown team for seven years. He's won everything other than a European title, right? And so... Yeah, yeah, the Champions League. Yeah. Time. Go to the best. So, and for those who, you know, th- th- for those who don't know, the Champions League essentially is the most, it, that is the, that is, uh, I guess what you call it, the Super Bowl of, um, of, uh, of soccer, European soccer. It is the best, it's the top teams from each European league, including the Premiership League, La Liga, Serie A, and, and they all compete together for this cup. And so, obviously... Uh, it's not that PSG has done bad. They've, they've reached the final once. They've reached the semifinal twice, both with Mbappe. You know, he's got this incredible track record, 200 goals, no, over 90 assists. So we'll see. We'll see if this actually goes through. I think it'll be really exciting, and I'll be excited to watch the games. But, yeah, sometimes it's nice to talk about soccer. It is. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's wild. And and he's he's if he wasn't already a household name, he, he will be soon. Yes. Great show, Paul. Uh, it was it was a nice balance this week and um, uh, exciting stuff all around. But that's our show for this week, folks. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Follow us at Better Call Paul the Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. Follow me at Meshlakani on X, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. 